What's happening, everybody, on today's show? John Talty from AL.com is going to join us, senior sports editor and SEC insider. He's got a new book out called The Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban. We'll talk all about that. We'll also look ahead to the uh, SEC football season. Locked on SEC starts right now. You are locked on SEC, your daily podcast on the Southeastern Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And what is happening, everybody? Welcome into Locked on SEC. I'm Chris Gordy. Thank you guys for making us your first listen every day. And, of course, you can check us out on uh, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. we got the video version up now. And uh, continue to make us your first listen every day. Let's jump right into it because our very special guest joining us now, John Talty, Senior Sports Editor, SEC Insider at AL.com. He's joined us on the show before. John, welcome in, man. How are you? Good. I'm glad to be back. Glad to talk to the listeners again. Uh, your new book uh, that's coming out, and, and as this airs, it is out this week. Uh, your new book, The Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban. Uh, let me just start here. What led you to getting the idea to write this book? Yeah, I think, I mean, it, it of course starts from the fact that I've covered Alabama now for years and covered the SEC for years. And just being around Saban, but also being around other coaches, I could tell there's something different about this guy. And I felt like there was something unique to how he was doing things. Of course, a lot of people tried to copy his approach, but his ideas themselves felt unique to me. And so many people over the years, whether it's former coaches, former players, recruits, they all have told me like Nick Saban runs Alabama like a business. And so I always kind of wondered like what, like what actually is applicable to a business from what he does. And so the book is essentially it's a deep dive into looking at how and why Nick Saban does what he does. There's a lot of interesting information about you know, kind of behind the scenes of as he's built this powerhouse at Alabama. But it also shows you the things that could be applicable to running a business or being a leader outside of just football. Yeah, that's interesting because I, I, I first saw the book and I thought of it as, oh, it's a football book. But that's a, it's an interesting aspect of, no, if you run a business or you're just a leader uh, or coach or whatever, like this this could apply to all aspects of life, kind of taking some of these secrets away. Um, I, I'll just ask you, because I know there's been some snippets come out that have been, you know, deleted scenes or stuff left on the cutting room floor. But uh, did anybody, anything surprise you about Nick Saban when you dove into this project? You know, I, I think it's in some ways that's tough for me to answer just because I feel like I've been around him enough that I felt like I had a pretty good feel for who the guy was. But I think that one of the things that did kind of come through as I talked to different people and you would hear stories, but they almost felt like, you know, they were like too intentional to try to prove he wasn't a robot. You'd be like, oh, Nick Saban's actually funny. And you'd be like, I mean, is he really though? But talking to enough people through this process is that he can be pretty funny. Now, he can be a little sarcastic, a little condescending in some of his humor, but you can tell he has these little zingers that are very funny. And I think just the way that he reacts to stuff, I think, can be funny. There was you know, a tweet that I had about you know, him and Jeremy Pruitt having an interaction over Zaxby's. And I just think that resonated with people because you can kind of hear in his voice and in his cadence you know, the confusion over what that was. And I think people find that stuff pretty funny. 
I, I want to st- start here, uh, John. You, we saw a little less fiery Nick Saban this past season. So I'll ask this. Was that the 70-year-old head coach becoming more toned down at his age? Or do you think that was him adjusting to a team that maybe needed a different style of approach of a coach instead of the, the screaming and yelling that he's become so synonymous for? I think it's a combination of the two, honestly, because I do think as he has aged and he's obviously won a lot over those years, there is a little part of you that can you know, not ease up, but you can soften a little bit. You know, he doesn't have to be 38 year old first time head coach Nick Saban, in which he's yelling and screaming and going wild on people. He he has enough of a track record at this point to not have to be quite to that level. But I think the point that you make is very smart and true in that. He has had to adapt and evolve as a coach because the way that kids need to be coached in 2022 is different than how they needed to be coached or maybe were able to be coached in 1980. And I think he's had to realize he's had to show different sides of himself as he coaches this younger generation of players. And I think in particular with last year's team, he realized that some of the things that he typically does just were not resonating with that team. You know, I think one of the the examples I always use is that typically after a win, especially if it's a big win, classic Nick Saban things, he's going to kind of try to knock them down a peg, right? He doesn't want them getting too full of themselves. Usually post-game press conference after a win is when Saban's a lot angrier than after a loss. After a loss, he's very you know analytical, introspective, and he didn't do that last year. And I think it's because he realized that team needed to be built up, not torn down, and he clearly needed to adjust how he approached those kids and how he coached them. And so he's always evolving and always adapting. And I think that's one of the reasons why he's able to be so successful. I was at uh, LSU in the early 2000s when he was there. And then, of course, you know, saw him in his time at Alabama and, and have covered him throughout the years. But the thing I always heard about was the process. It was always the process. How much in the book do you talk about the process? And has that always been a staple of Saban's coaching? And, and how has the process either, either changed or stayed the same over the years? Yeah, so chapter seven is called The Process. So you get a, you get a full chapter dedicated to it. Uh, you know, it's been written about so much that I didn't want to make it, you know, necessarily the focal point of the book. But it's obviously an incredibly important part of his system. And I think it's probably the most famous part of what he does. You know, I think the origin point that a lot of people point to is when he was at Michigan State. They were able to beat number one, Ohio State. Uh, that week, you had kind of, he had tried a different approach in which he focused more on trying to win second seven plays, basically, rather than focused on winning the 60-minute game. And that kind of crystallized for him this different approach in which he focuses on the process and not the results, right? But I think it was really a culmination of a lot of what he already kind of had inside of him. I think it just crystallized for him just a little bit of the wording and how to explain it. And I think he's adjusted it over the years, right? I mean, I think he is always going to come back to those things. I think he's always going to talk about how, you know, really it should be about the standard and not just about the results. They don't talk about winning national championships. They talk about, you know, working hard like a champion every day, things like that. He's never going to change those things. But some of the components of the process do evolve over time. And I think the way that he coaches the individual certainly has changed from you know the 90s and where he was to where he is you know now in 2022. So it's it's evolved over the years but there is a lot that has remained you know true during that time frame. And again the more and more success he has the easier it is in some ways to get guys to buy in because he points to all these results that he's had.
More with John Tolte in just a second. But as you guys gear up for fall, you need the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier for you to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. And create a job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs. Reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. You add your job, the purple hiring frame, to your LinkedIn profile. It'll spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to bring in. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you want to interview and hire. It's why small business rates LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster about 40 million job seekers a week visit LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Continue our conversation with John Talty, AL.com. Of course, the new book is out, The Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban. And, John, I always talk about on this podcast, I have to be careful when I talk about Nick Saban because 13 of the 14 fan bases that listen to, the, to this podcast don't like the guy. They want him to lose. They want to see him go down. For those fans who aren't Bama fans, uh, I got to think there's still something that they're going to like about this book and takeaways and kind of even say, like, look, as much as I hate the guy, you got to respect him. But I'm sure there's stuff to appreciate about this book, even if you're not an Alabama fan. Yeah, absolutely. And so there are a couple of things that come to mind for me. One, you know, there's stuff in here about some of his most famous losses and how he's handled them, you know, from kick six to Louisiana Monroe to title game losses that I think fans will enjoy fans of other teams, especially, you know, Auburn fans and stuff like that. Clemson fans, you'll enjoy that. Um, I think some of the stories that are in here, some of the anecdotes, people will just find funny and humorous about Saban. You know, one of the ones that I've told some people about that's in the book is he calls up one of his coaches on Christmas day. And he's like, Hey man, like, like, what are you doing? And the coach is like, I mean, celebrating Christmas with my wife. Like, what's going on? He's like, you want to come over and watch some film today? And he's just like, he's like, no, I mean, it's Christmas. Like, I'm not coming over to hang out. He's like, why not, man? Why don't you want to come over? So I think if you're just generally interested in, like, this guy just being a, you know, how incredible he is, how hard-charging he is, and how much he works, I think you'll enjoy some of that stuff. But I also think from a big-picture standpoint, whatever you do, I mean, I don't care if you're a journalist, if you – own a business, if you're a teacher, whatever, I can promise you, you might not like Nick Saban as a coach. I guarantee you there's something in this book that he does that you will think, you know what? Like if I added that to my daily routine, I might be a little bit more productive or I might be a little bit more efficient because you might not like what he does, but there's a reason why he's been successful. It's not based on happenstance. Like he has things that he does every single day that give him a better chance of succeeding. And I think there's a lot of that that's applicable to no matter what you do. Yeah, I always say that. if you're even like if you don't like Elon Musk, I'm still going to listen to what he does every day to find out how he got successful at where he is. So uh, it's a great life lesson for a lot of us. Uh, this kind of relates to what you just said. For my next question was how much of a sh- of a machine is Saban? Because I've heard stories that he's gotten mad at having to play a championship game so late because he's behind on recruiting in the next season and all that kind of stuff. Um, how much truly of a robot is he when he comes to his his work ethic? Yeah, see, and I think he hates the robot term. You know, it's something he's trying to fight back against, but it's one that's obviously been used around him a lot because I do think he is very good at delivering every single day what he thinks needs to be done, right? And so 
it'd be easy to, you know, think about like a big game to get yourself up for a big game. All right, it's a national championship. Let's do that. But he truly is trying to live his life. Like every single day is a national championship game. Right. And that's incredibly difficult to do. I think the vast majority of not almost anybody would not be able to do that day in and day out, but that's what he is so good at doing. He has a routine that he sticks to very closely and he's very good at not letting success change him. And so the example you brought up is one that I do write about in the book where, especially after that first, he does it after pretty much every national championship, but the famous one is 2009 when he wins his first national championship at Alabama. And the very next day he calls a meeting with his entire staff and is like, we fell behind on recruiting by being out here. Like you guys need to go hit the ground running right now. And one of the guys I talked to was uh, one of the staffers and he bumped into an assistant coach that day afterwards. And he's like, like he, the, the coach comes up to him and says like, Hey, like, Hey John, like did, did we win a national championship last night? And he's like, like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, we were all there. Like, of course we did. He's like, can somebody tell coach Saban that? Because the way he's treating us is like, we didn't just win. Like he does not understand the fact that winning probably just helped us with recruiting, but he was so already turning the page to it's going to be even harder next year to get back here. So we got to start to work right away, which you could say is maybe not like the greatest way to live your life to already move that fast on from success, but it's certainly been an important part of his system to be able to do that. Yeah, we're already into like almost the second week of January for the championship game, and I, I have a feeling if it were up to him, he'd move it to like the third week of December. Let's just get it out of the way. We'll win a title and move on. We can't have all these other programs get ahead of us. Um, talk with John Talty. How much do you touch on his evolution as a coach? Because you know, I remember back in 07, he comes back to the SEC, and his mantra was still, we're going to run the ball, stop the run, going to win with a game manager quarterback, hard-nosed defense, an aggressive, a blitzing defense and all that. But we've seen him evolve with, with bringing in Lane Kiffin and you know bringing in elite-level quarterbacks, going tempo, scoring a ton of points. I mean, that's not what Saban was a decade-plus ago. Yeah, so there's really there's two chapters in the book that are basically dedicated to that. One of them is uh, it's called Use Staff Turnover to Improve, and that gets into a lot that Lane Kiffin and some of the coaches he's brought in to really revolutionize, you know, what they were doing, especially offensively. And then one of the other chapters is called uh, Evaluate, Constantly Evolve When Necessary. And I think that speaks to a lot of what Saban's approach is because he's always looking for an edge. He's always looking for something that could maybe make him or Alabama 1% better. And there have been numerous examples that I can think of as time has gone on. I think this, you know, spread, hurry up, no huddle offense is a big one in which – he didn't really want to do it, but I think over he realized this is the way the game is heading. He brought up, I don't think this is good for college football. Everyone accused him of just being a whiner and a complainer. And I think eventually he was like, okay, like I don't think this is good, but if this is what you guys want, I'm going to do it better than any of you. And that's kind of what I see through a lot of what he does, in which he'll take an initial position on something. I think we've seen it with Transfer Portal and NIL recently, where he'll say, I don't think this is good for college football. And everybody's like, ah, oh, Saban's whining, Saban's complaining. And he's like, all right, this is what you guys want. Like, I'll do it. I'll do it better than you guys. Because he's always – he's so smart and he's so analytical. He's always going to find some little angle to do it differently and better than pretty much anybody. And we've seen that. I mean, early Saban wins three national championships with defense first teams, game manager quarterbacks. And then he completely shifts and he wins three national championships – with these all-star quarterbacks and high-powered offenses. I mean, I, I don't think anybody could have anticipated that he would do that. 
But one of the things that people told me over and over again about Saban is that he is never so egotistical or so believing in himself to not be willing to change something that would ultimately benefit the organization. And so just because he is a defensive-minded coach and would prefer the game be played that way, he's not going to bring his organization down by doing things just because that's the way he wants to do them. Continue our conversation with John Talty in just a second. But if you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs yet, you are really depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. There is a new flavor out as well. It is delicious, indulgent cookie dough covered in chocolate. That's right. Built has done it again. Let me introduce you to Cookie Dough Chunk Puffs. It is a light and chewy texture, real cookie dough chunks, and, of course, covered in 100% real chocolate. All the joys of eating cookie dough without the hassle of having to make it. Plus, it's healthy for you. Cookie Dough Chunk Puffs, only 160 calories. They have a whopping 15 grams of protein packed in there. Run to Built.com right now. Snag a box for you and the family. It'll be a perfect treat. Or you can find a really good hiding place in your house. Just hoard them for yourself. Go to Built.com right now. Make sure you use our promo code LOCK15. That's going to get you 15% off your order. Use the promo code LOCK15 at Built.com. You are going to love the new cookie dough chunk puff. Whether you need a snack for your workout, late night treat, or just need to grab a quick bite, Built is the perfect protein bar that tastes better than a candy bar. Ditch the calories, fat, and sugar. Grab yourself a Built Bar. One more segment with John Talty of AL.com, of course, senior sports editor and SEC insider. Uh, the new book is out now, The Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban. I've got mine on order already, so can't ra- wait to uh, get my hands on it and read it. John, I saw you at SEC Media Days a couple weeks ago. Uh, look, I, there's a lot of big storylines across the SEC. I love the quarterbacks in this group. I love the coaches. I feel like we've got you know, maybe the best crop we've ever had of, of talented coaches in the conference. But any big takeaways for you coming out of SEC Media Days? Yeah, I mean, I think, well, heading into it, I think a lot of it was what was going to happen with Saban and Jimbo, and then again, kind of, you know, fizzled out fairly fast. But, yeah, I mean, I think to me, it felt like one of the big storylines coming going into it and coming out of it was that pretty much everybody's like, Alabama's the West team, Georgia's the East team, and it didn't feel like there was any real consensus beyond those two. And so I think for me, headed into this season, not to say that Alabama and Georgia are guaranteed to win their divisions, because of course they're not. But to me, I think the most interest I have beyond those two is who is the number two? Who is the biggest threat in each of those divisions to win? Because Texas A&M feels like an obvious one to me in the West, but the East feels completely wide open. I mean, I, I mean, I could give you some names, Kentucky, Tennessee. You can talk yourself into a bunch of them. But it doesn't feel like there is an obvious, of course, that team's going to be the one who finishes two. Or, of course, that team is going to be the one who really gives Georgia all it can handle. And so, for me, coming out of media days, that's what I'm kind of thinking about. It's just like, who are the real contenders beyond Alabama and Georgia? And I think Texas A&M, because it just feels like a lot of, a lot of wide openness. And, and some of that, I think, is also just based on, the way the game is played now, there's so many guys transferring in and out that like these teams just change so much year to year that it's hard to know what you're getting until the games actually get played. You mentioned the the Saban uh, Jimbo feud, and look, obviously, it grabbed national headlines for a reason. I, I brought this up to somebody, and, and they were kind of going back and forth with me on it. I feel like Saban's players. I, I don't ne- know if they're necessarily like. Like, put it, Shane Beamer is a player's coach, right? Like, they want to get his back, and we're going to back our coach and all this. Do you think the players respond that way with Saban? Meaning, like, he went toe-to-toe publicly with Jimbo, so when A&M comes to Tuscaloosa this year, we want to stick it to them. We want to get our coaches back. Like, is that a thing with Saban's players? Like, do they feel a need to get their coaches back? 
Yeah, I mean, I think Will Anderson kind of said something to that. Similar to that was basically like, you know, we'll let October 8th be the kind of the test of that that situation, which hearing that from Will Anderson would make me a little worried knowing what that guy's capable of. I do, and I think that's something that, like, you know, because Saban is not, you know, uh, a big hug and love on all his guys kind of guy, that I think sometimes he – is misportrayed in some regard. Yeah, he's not Dabo. He's not Shane Beamer. He's not some of these guys. But I think a lot of those guys do have a lot of love and admiration for him because one of the things that Alabama does based on Saban is that they give these guys every opportunity to succeed with everything. I mean, everything's first class, whether it's help in academics, whether it's what they eat every day, the facilities. Like They make it so that is as good of an experience for you as a player and as player first in operation as possible. And so I do think that, especially when Saban is kind of in the mix like that and there are people kind of lobbing bombs at Saban, which doesn't happen that often, I do think it evokes some emotion from those guys like, we got your back. And, you know, I don't want to get locked into guarantees. I'm not Joe Namath here. But I would say, given that all of the attention that we saw around uh, that feud, I would be surprised, what I would say, if Alabama lost that game. Because I think last year, you could tell they overlooked them. A&M was kind of scuttling about a little bit. There's going to be so much media attention around that game. There's already been so much that I would be shocked if those guys weren't locked in and ready to roll and wanting to send a message after everything Jimbo said about Saban. Yeah, and A&M still having a quarterback battle in their hands and not knowing who the guy is. I think that contributes to a lot of, oh, is A&M even going to be that team that you know that finishes second in the West and takes that that leap again under Jimbo Fisher? Uh, it, it's interesting, John, as I look at the the landscape of, of the league and how things have changed. The uh, you know the the mantra or the the old thing that Saban assistants can't beat him was finally broken last year, not once but twice. Jimbo does it, and then Kirby does it in the championship game. Who's going to be the next to do it? We know Sarkeesian is at Texas. They're on the schedule this year. They don't play Florida and Billy Napier, but obviously he's coming in there and he's going to try to build something in the swamp. But who of all the former Saban assistants that are still out there do you think is next in line that can slay the dragon? Yeah, so in the first draft that I turned in on my book had that detail in there. And then I had to like make, had to edit that out and change it a little bit before we sent the book out to be published. Uh, that was one of those that, that changed along the way. But, I mean, there, there are a couple of names that come, come to mind. I mean, Sark will be interesting down the line. I mean, who knows how long he'll have a – how long he'll be there. Um, the pressure cranks up pretty fast there. But if you buy into what he's building and with Arch Manning and all those guys, you could talk yourself into that being a real contender in the SEC moving forward. I like Billy Napier as a pick. I think he's pretty similar to Saban. I think if he can get recruiting up to a certain level there – I mean, it's not going to be this year. I don't think they're winning the East and they'll play him bigger season-wise, but if Billy can really crank up the recruiting, I think he has the structure and style that could that could be competitive. I mean, the guy who wants it the most is Lane Kiffin, right? But I think almost it's like it's like wanting something so much you like you kind of shoot yourself in the foot a little bit. Like right. just the way he last year would give me a little pause about him being able to beat Saban because it was almost like it was there was some some like galaxy brain type takes stuff he was doing there where he was just I'm going to find a way to outsmart Saban of all these different plays and then just blew up in his face. And so, I mean, he has the X's and O's capabilities to give Saban all his money's worth, but I just don't know if he'll ever have all the pieces right to do it. So, you know, if you're taking off Kirby and Jimbo from it, 
Billy would probably be my pick, but I don't. It's not now, and it would probably be a couple years down the line if it's going to happen. Yeah, Lane, it's okay to kick the ball. Don't don't have to go for it every fourth down. You'll find yourself in a big hole again, like you did last year. Uh, last one for you, John, and and I know this is probably one you're getting a lot surrounding the book, but how much longer? How much longer does this guy want to do this? How much longer is Saban going to be around with NIL transfer portal? All this stuff going on seems like. Uh, might be aspects of the game that could push him into a retirement sooner rather than later. It is the number one question that I get. I guess now because I've written a Nick Saban book, I get to be an expert uh, on offering this take. Uh, I think about it a couple of different ways. I think the the part that you were bringing up there at the end, you know, it's something that I've checked in on. And I think at this point, assuming that, and I think we've seen Alabama start to get its NIL game in, in a better place, but I think that, he almost views that as a challenge now. You know, we've seen it push out, I feel like, some coaches in college basketball. But I think Saban, you know, because he has so much rolling for him at this point that, like, I think he likes the idea of something that he has to figure out how to make it work. And it gives him another kind of external challenge to have to try to overcome because you know, there's, there's, there's not that many at this point. He's got to always find something to kind of get him motivated and make it feel like he's doing something different. So I, I think, I don't think that's what pushes him out. The answer that I have come to, kind of uh, sharpen as I've done some interviews is that I think that Saban has so much respect for what it takes day in and day out to be what is needed to be as an Alabama head coach. You know, you read this book, you'll see this guy is so committed every single day in what he's doing. And so whether that's based on age, whether it's based on health, whether it's just based on him just not wanting to do it anymore, I think if he gets to that point where he's waking up in the morning and he doesn't want to go to the football facility, he doesn't want to go to practice, he doesn't feel like he can get on a plane and fly out to California to recruit a five-star, I think that's when he walks away. Now, the guy seems to still have a lot of energy to me. He's obviously recruiting at a very high level. He's the pick to win the national championship again this year. So it doesn't feel like it's this year, but – He's certainly at that age, 70 years old. It's going to be the question, I think, before every single season moving forward, is this the last year for him? And it'll be very interesting to see what what eventually pushes him out. But to me, it'll be if he doesn't think he can do it anymore, that's when he leaves. Because I just don't see him suffering through eight and four seasons at this stage of his life. I just don't think he would – I don't think he'd want to leave the program in that state for whoever comes after him. He is John Talty, AL.com. Of course, the book again, The Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban, out now. Um, I saw it on Amazon. Is that the easiest place to go grab it? Yeah, anywhere and anywhere, everywhere and anywhere that you buy a book, you can buy it. Amazon is obviously a good, easy one, but, you know, Barnes Noble, Books A Million, if you've got a great independent bookstore that you love, feel free to buy it there. We always love to support them, too. But anywhere that you want to buy it, it it'll be available, and Amazon, of course, is, is the big one. I assume, are you going to make, a, like, a tour around college football season and go sign some copies for people? If there's interest, you know, we, we got to, yeah, I don't want to be too egotistical. I think there's interest for John Salty to find books across the Southeast. Uh, we are doing one in Birmingham. We're going to do one in Mobile. Uh, we'll see from there uh, whether there's interest. But, you know, if you want me to come to a book signing, you know, you can hit up Chris for my, uh, my contact info. We'll set it up. I'll cut him in on a little percentage of it. Yeah, I appreciate that. John, uh, great stuff, man. Really can't wait to uh, to read the book. And uh, uh, awesome you've been leaking little snippets and pieces and getting people excited about it because it felt like every time a snippet came out, it made headlines. <laughs> like People are, like, so excited about this book and can't wait. So best of luck, man, and uh, we'll have to do this again real soon. Absolutely. would love to. 
All right, thanks so much. That's John Talty of AL.com here on Locked on SEC. Again, the book, The Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban. That is going to do it for this edition of Locked on SEC. We're here for you five days a week talking all things SEC football. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll have some other great guests that we've had on uh, from SEC Media Days, and you don't want to miss that. Subscribe wherever you find your podcast, Locked on SEC, and on YouTube, Locked on SEC. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.